Welcome to We Got This Covered's Cinemaholics, the weekly movie review talk show where critics and fans finally unite to discuss the biggest and best films coming to theaters. We're not just fans, we're not just critics, we're Cinemaholics. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the official podcast of WeGotThisCovered.com. I'm John Negroni from the Internet California and from the Internet Pennsylvania, Will Ashton. Hello. And from the broadband basement, our sound master, Maverick Hines. Hello. How do you... Wait, Mav- is it Maverick? Maverike? Maver- sorry, I, our listeners can't spell your name and I can't pronounce it, I guess, but... Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I, I just is, had to bring that my up. My name is spelled weird, so I mean, it makes sense. <laughs> I gave everyone a pass. <laughs> I was highly amused by the numerous spellings of your name, Maverick, oh, it's... in the comment section for John's website. Yeah, it's quality. I love it. It's my whole life. <laughs> weird spellings. I got called... What's when... the weirdest spelling of your name? You know, I don't... I, because I, I don't get a lot of spellings. I don't let people write my name down. I've had really weird mispronunciations from like substitute teachers and stuff, mm. obviously, in high school. I've got called Mavenreich. Mavarki was your substitute teacher Key and Peel. Uh, we called her Miss Blackfire. She was fierce, and she, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it was, but she called me Mavenreich or Ma- I can't remember if she was Mavarki or Mavenreich. But she just like threw letters in there. She's like, let's add a couple more. Why not? Oh my gosh. Well, if you're listening and you're like, I'd, I, I want to get Maverick's name right. Um, just call him Dad. That's what we all call him. Yeah. When Papa. we're off the air, not Papa. That's disrespectful. Just yeah. Dad. You're not oh. a grandpa, so. Yeah. Well, this week we're talking about Paddington Two. Uh, this movie has been on my list of winter films, uh, my highly anticipated winter films, for a while. And I know uh, we everybody but Maverick's been looking forward to it. And uh, so we're going to talk about it uh, here in the show. It's going to be very interesting because Maverick did not see the first Paddington. And so he kind of went into this one without uh, without anything to, you know, just, just in, he went in blind. So we're going to do that. And uh, we have a couple of mini reviews. We're going to get to The Commuter, The End of the Effing World, and a few more. But... Uh, before we get into all of that, did you guys watch the Golden Globes last Sunday? I did not. I've seen clips and stuff, I, but I yeah, I, I the whole saw thing. clips as well. Same here. We don't have cable, so I don't watch a lot of TV. <laughs> no cable. Uh, yeah, I watched clips too. And uh, what did you guys think, like overall, of like what you saw? I know the big thing was Oprah's speech. We we don't really have to get into detail about that because it's not really movie related. But uh, I would say that it was a pretty great speech. I mean, I have to say, I I was. Very impressed and very excited by, um, I don't want to take away what I know you're going to say, but I was just really pumped to see the solidarity in a group of people that are making their voices heard and standing up for people who can't make their voices heard as easily. And I, I just thought it was awesome. It was a really cool thing to see that uh, change is happening. And I don't know, it was cool. Was uh, it was literally a night where Seth Meyers, like kind of pointed out the fact that he was like a, you know, a straight white guy, you know, leading off the Golden Globes. And uh, right. there's a part where Amy Poehler came in. Um, it was very interesting. Were you going to say something, Will? No, I was going to say, I agree with Maverick. I think uh, it was very comforting and uh, empowering to see all these women supporting each other and not just women, you know, all these guys, everyone, except for maybe a few people were wearing all black and it was definitely a supportive vibe. And I think Seth Meyers handled it. I- it's about as well as I think he could have. So, yeah, I mean, just from the very little I've seen, it was a good show. I thought his monologue was awesome. It was very funny. Yeah. Very funny. Um, I, thought, I thought it was, you know, from what I saw, I wish I had seen the whole thing. Apparently, it was a very entertaining night. Uh, we've never we've never really had, like, an Oscars or awards episode on Cinemaholics because we started right after the Oscars in 2017. Mm-hmm. But Oscars are, like, one of my favorite 
events. John I, makes I really an get event into about it. About it every year. Like we'll have like twenty people over. Like, yeah, John is real. I really enjoy it, and I, I totally, I totally understand that it's all rigged. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of like movie. It, you know, if you find out how the sausage gets made, it's uh, it kind of takes away some of the glamour from the night. But I kind of don't care. But I was gonna say too. I, I think that uh, sometimes like. I talk to people and they're like, well, what does it matter? Like, you, you know, the show is Cinemaholics, you know, like why are we, why are we even bringing up the Golden Globes or like that kind of thing? And I, I definitely felt like it was really cool to see Hollywood kind of standing up for each other. It makes a really big impact when they stand in solidarity because things like the abuse of power that we've seen and like lack of like female representation, it does affect the movies that we see. It affects what projects get greenlit. So yeah. I'm definitely a huge supporter of like stuff like this because it's a, it's kind of like this big collective grand gesture. And like the more change we see like this, I, I just think that means we're going to get really great movies. Because I can kind of hear the comments now of like, you know, why, you know, it, feeling like don't get too political and all of this stuff. And, you know, it's not really to me a political thing. It's a cultural thing. And yeah. culture affects our movies for sure. Uh, you know, I was looking at it too. And it, it's, it's really sad, like how, uh, you know, only five female directors have ever been nominated for best director in the Golden Globes in 75 years. Five. Right. And only one person has ever won Barbara Streisand for Yentl. And it just, it, it's something that's clearly an issue because, you know, and in the Oscars, only four women have ever been nominated for best director at the Oscars in, what, 89 in 89 years. years. And that's a huge problem because, like, we need fresh voices. We, that includes, like, you know, people who can uh, make movies that we've never seen any before. Uh, you know, Patty Jenkins, Wonder Woman, for example. You know, I can't imagine any other director doing a movie like Wonder Woman the way she did it. And uh, we need more of that. And uh, we need we need women to get hired for jobs that normally just go to a guy. You know, not that there's anything wrong with you know men having jobs, obviously. But you know, it's it's something that's not going to change overnight. But I think things like the Golden Globes, like cultural changes like small things we can do now like champion movies uh you know ones that we genuinely love that feature these fresh voices in all kinds of different ways uh men and women uh i think is the right thing to do and you know i wanted to bring up before we we jump into the main thrust of the show this podcast that just started up from our friends at the young folks uh for those who don't know uh will and i write for them and uh they have a new podcast out called finding her voice and it's based on the 52 films by women challenge and it's hosted by allison johnson gabrielle bondi and aj caulfield uh they do an episode like once a month and they pick one or two films that they've never seen before that uh you know are helmed by women and like they talk about female perspective in movies and all kinds of stuff like that they have one episode out now um for like the year and it's really great it's uh it's a year in review and i highly recommend you guys check it out uh we'll link to it in the show notes of course and i uh, hope you enjoy that same here i um also wanted to stress that i'm doing the 52 films by women challenge I, I don't really like calling it a challenge it's more just yeah something i like to do it's officially but called I mean, that not that it's challenging right yeah yeah, yeah I, I yeah but still it feels like a dirty word in this sense yeah. but yeah i'm doing that as well and i'm looking forward to checking out more women or more movies from the female perspective so yeah it was okay to call it the ice bucket challenge because that was a challenge to do that thing with ice water right yeah that's what i mean like it's it's like it's not really a challenge to watch movies (laughs) yeah it's just like it's more just like a goal or something to strive for yeah so but that's not quite as uh catchy uh, let us know if any of you uh, want to do the 52 Films by Women Challenge, or however you want to call it. Uh, and if you do, let us know what you're watching. Uh, we want to keep up with that. But with that said, 
Let's uh, get into our featured review of the week, our spoiler-free review of Paddington 2. And I want to bring something up. If you've never seen the first Paddington, first of all, I highly recommend that you go check it out. The first Paddington is a great film. But at the same time, I really don't think you have to watch it to get a lot out of Paddington 2. Um, it definitely it's, fills in some gaps, but I think you can easily go into Paddington 2 and kind of get it, right? Yeah, I mean, I did. Yeah, I was going to say... It's on Netflix, so it's not really even hard to find. Sure. You can just plug in Netflix and watch it for an hour and a half and make your life better. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, Paddington 2 is uh, the continuation of the story of Paddington Brown, a young bear cub who can talk from Peru. And he lives in this really just like highly realized London, you know, it's, it's very fanciful. It's very surreal, but it's a, it's a magic realism version of the world. Uh, and with no surprise, it comes from the same producer of Harry Potter. Uh, I think like the first two, at least. And Paddington, he, he wants, he's such a sweet bear. He just wants to get a birthday gift for his aunt Lucy, but a string of wacky events leads him in prison and uh, this bear who only just wants to do right by his family, um, the Browns, and who wants to just be polite and kind to the world uh, kind of gets dealt some tricky hands. But overall, this is a movie about how, you know, teamwork and uh, just being kind to people and doing things together is better than trying to do things alone. And a very simple message, great film for kids, and I would argue one for adults as well. But as we get into a review, Will Ashen, you know, brief thoughts on the first Paddington and overall your thoughts on Paddington 2. So I think you and I are on the same page about the first Paddington in the sense that when I saw that first trailer or how many other trailers they had for the first Paddington movie, it just looked like your average kind of generic kid garbage where they pander to kids, pushing a lot of gross out jokes and seemingly going to make something that's going to be very dismissive of this classic character. But yeah, definitely. thankfully, the movie is not that at all like that little bit of the film was just exaggerated and shown way too many times. Uh, it's a delightful movie. I would definitely recommend it if you haven't had a chance to see it. But the thing that really surprised me about Paddington 2 was that it's basically just as good as the first one. Like, I think it doesn't really miss a beat as far as capturing the same whimsical, magical feeling that the first movie did. And it seemed like the energy was only higher and it even felt like they had a little bit more uh, steady progression with the plot. It felt like this movie flowed a little better at times because they didn't have to establish as many things as they did in the first movie. So I don't know. I'm not quite sure if it's better than the first Paddington movie, but it's definitely at least on like the same level for me. So I'm really excited to talk about this more. I'm in the better camp. You know, I gave it thought and I, I really enjoyed this one better than the first. I thought the first was very charming, but I also, there were parts of it that I didn't, I wasn't fully in love with. I, I didn't love the Nicole Kidman character as much. And I thought that, uh, I, I didn't think the movie was quite as memorable in some ways. You know, I, I think that a lot of, there was way more slapstick, I think. And there, there are things that it does do a little bit better than Paddington 2. Like I think the uh, story arcs for the kids in the first movie is a lot better. Yeah. Definitely. And it is a weakness of Paddington too, that like the kids kind of are really given very one dimensional. They're, they're given right. one sheets, right? Like they, well, here's a list of like things that are important to your character. And we're just going to keep hammering them in like here and there throughout the movie. There's not a lot for them to do compared to the parents who I thought got yeah. great arcs and uh, were really great to see. 
I was going to say, the one thing I think I really like about the first Paddington movie is just how much of a family movie it is. Like, you really get the sense they bond and grow as a family, whereas this movie, it's a little more... I mean, for reasons that are potential to plot, like, they have their own kind of separate things going on, and so it didn't really have that same warm feeling that I got from the first movie, but it got very close, so I don't want to dismiss that, but that's one thing I did prefer in the first movie. And we should mention, before we get into Maverick's thoughts, uh, the movie was directed yeah. by Paul King. Uh, he uh, he wrote and directed it with his uh, longtime co- collaborator, Simon Farnaby, who actually starred Who's... in uh, a movie that he did a couple years ago. Bunny the Bull? Yeah, yeah. And uh, Paul, he... Paul King also worked, of course, on the first Paddington. Yeah, I was going to say, um, Simon's in the movie, too. He has a brief little cameo as a guard at a church, I think. Or something like that, policeman of some kind. Yeah, this this movie is just you know crammed with lots of uh, with lots of like really famous British actors and a lot of familiar British actors for American audiences who like uh, things like the Harry Potter series, Game of Thrones, um, some of those things that you you definitely will pick out faces here and there. Um, IT crowd. Yeah, yeah, there. <laughs> I forget the name of that actor, but I I got a kick Richard out of seeing him there. Yeah, um, the the film stars uh, Imelda Stanton, Ben Whishaw as the voice of Paddington, Madeline Harris, Samuel Jocelyn, Sally Hawkins, Hugh Bonville, Julie Walters is in this, uh, Mary Frances Alvarez, uh, many more that we could get into, and it, it's a movie that I uh, like the first. It's like a mix of CG and live action, but the sets are so like like i was gonna bring up hugh grant plays the villain in this one uh and you really get like this this uh it's almost like a cartoonish kind of world that these characters occupy and that's part of the fun uh if you like the movie all that said (laughs) we said enough let's uh let's go to maverick hines you you went into paddington you know you had never seen the first one uh i i kind of tried to describe the movie to you best i could uh Mostly, it was like profanity that I used. I was going to say gonna I was going to read it for everybody because of how it's hilarious, <laughs> and I was like, "We we can't tell people family about pro- this. family <laughs> podcast." Sure, but uh, go ahead. You know, Maverick, what did you think of Paddington too? Let me start by saying this: I have read your comments on John's website. I understand that apparently I am notorious for just disliking movies. I didn't feel like I was a hater, but apparently I'm a little <laughs> bit of a hater, and I'm going to keep that consistent today uh, because I did not like this movie, but. Let me say a but here. Mm-hmm. I understand the appeal for probably most people. I think this is kind of like, no, I'm not going to compare it to that. I was going to say this is like Ladybird for me, where I didn't connect, but I think a lot of people will. But I think Ladybird's like a million times better than this movie could ever dream of wanting to be. Um, I, I, I get it. I get why people like it. It's a cute movie. I, I guess some people might find it funny. Like, like me. Like John, John was John was fake laughing to kind of annoy me for half of the movie. So Those were genuine laughs, obviously. Was, I know your fake laugh. Anyway, <laughs> um, I I didn't. I was just not in it at all. But then again, like I don't really like like the cute kind of childish. It's just like I'm not. That's not for me at all. It's just not something that I care about. And this movie was a hundred percent that. So um, I found the movie really boring. Um, but I, like I don't know, I feel like there's not a lot I can say. There's nothing analytical about this. I just think that if you spend a little bit more time with Paddington, he no. he finds the good in all of us. No, how old is Paddington? Say, he's a cub. Maverick. He's not a cub. He he's talks a cub. about how he was a cub a lot in this movie, so he's, he's not cub. still a cub. He's still a cub. Whatever. He's a kid. See, again, there's. No I mean, there. we're talking about how like the older, um, the Aunt Lucy is like a, turning 100 years old, so bears age a lot longer than we do. So he's probably about like 20 or 30 years old, but. By bear standards, that's still like a cub. Yeah. I mean, this is also a fantasy movie where 
bears talk, so I don't know why we're really debating logistics of what could actually happen. But this is just where our conversation went. Yeah, it's after a, I mean, I we had know, nothing else guys, to talk about. You guys about. know me. I always pick out some weird, stupid fact to be annoyed. By <laughs> like, like how she I'll jumped from a thirty-five story bridge and survived. And uh, yeah, like in Mother, when she just that hammering of the nail or whatever it was. Mother, um, that's Happy Death Day. Oh, you're right. You're right. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> both so, good movies. So again, I, I think I, I really need to stress that I think a lot of people would really go in this movie and have a fun time. It's like it's fun. It's cute. It's like as well said, it's like whimsical. It's it's that overall happy experience, right? It doesn't make any sense to me. I was really bored, but again, I'm just the hater, and that's just my job, I guess. But I think for a lot of people, and for children, and for young people, it's it's worth seeing, and and it could be a yeah, fun like time. you would show this to your kids, right? For sure. Like I was going to tell you before, the ones like, you don't this, have. This is if I had kids, this is something I'd be like, yeah, let's you know, actually, I'd take my wife to it. I'm sure my wife would love this movie because it's cute and fun. And she likes cute things. This is 100 percent like the anti Maverick movie. Like it's just not <laughs> something I'm interested in. Even a little bit, but I, I enjoy this experiment because it was sort of like could Paddington break through the crusty, dark exterior of Maverick's heart? And he the tried. answer is not yet. No, the Black <laughs> Hogwarts Twitter hashtag has done it though. It's a great <laughs> hashtag, uh, but that's that's a tangent. I I just think that one day, Maverick, you're gonna wake up and you're just gonna be like, you know what? If you are kind and polite, the world will be right, and just you're just gonna hide though. it from me. That's not even. Close to true. Uh, so yeah, you mentioned you mentioned that you thought I was fake laughing. Yeah, that I want to push back on that. When I watch Paddington, I get transported a bit, and like I just I get so sucked into that movie, I get so wrapped up into its 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 whims that I just everything that was happening on screen, I was a big fan of. And maybe that kind of came off as fake laughing, but I genuinely think this movie is absolutely hilarious. I should probably clarify. It's not that you were so much fake laughing. It's that you were so obnoxious. Like you were laughing so much. I was trying. We, there weren't a lot of people in the theater. And I, want, I was trying to get you into it a little bit. I'll, yeah, I'll admit so you, that. Where's fake? You just admit it's it not a fake. I'm just trying to get you into the fun that I was having. Mm, that's exaggerated, not fake. Okay, whatever. Yeah. It was half false. False. <laughs> 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 no, it was all It was all sincere. So let, let's talk then a little bit more about... Um, what you guys thought of kind of the plot of the movie, the story. I, I think that the thing that I really like is I, I was worried, I'll say, that the movie, like the trip to prison, would be kind of like, well, what's the family going to do? And that whole like narrative arc. I mean, what did you think, uh, Will? Did it work for you at all? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I keep wanting to call the plot simple, but it's not really a simple plot. Like, there's a lot of things that happen in this movie, but just the fact that it's very, uh, um, I'm not really sure what the word would be, but like, I guess whimsical or childish or just very silly. It's told it simplistically. Like right. Almost. There you go. Yeah. It's, it's a very simplistic story in nature, but what happens in it is very, not complicated, but very layered and stuff. So yeah, I mean, I think really in a way, I mean, like I didn't really necessarily have a problem with Nicole Kidman's villain in the first movie. I thought she was fine for what she needed to do, but I did feel like Hugh Grant's villain was a better reflection of what the film was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so like it just felt like he his presence, even though I'm not really that big of a Hugh Grant fan, I thought he was on like kind of another level here where he was really just having a lot of fun with the part. There kind there are two things like, with there are two things with Hugh Grant that I'd love in this. The uh the musical number and him having conversations with characters that he's played <laughs> and like just the, like each character, like whenever he has to talk about like money, he starts talking to Scrooge and like yeah. when he talks about, um, he, he talks to Macbeth when he's talking about being um, like thinking really deep. I don't know. I loved all that. Yeah. I was going to say that 
that part really remind me a lot of like Count Olaf in like the series of unfortunate events books, or I guess the show and the movie too. But in a weird way, like that kind of captured that same manic, self-absorbed villainy. Except he wasn't trying to kill Paddington; he was just trying to yeah get a lot of money from a pop-up. Trying to book. get that paper. Trying to get that paper, yeah. and We're I all trying to get paper that in paper. more ways than one. That's the only part I connected to. <laughs> yeah, I think that uh, I, I what I did appreciate from that whole thing with Hugh Grant was that uh, I understood what he wanted. I thought the Nicole Kidman character just wasn't as uh, interesting as him. And I thought that it was, he was more deeply tied. The writing was really good, basically. He was deeply tied, like the lesson that he has to learn, that Paddington has to, you know, kind of teach everybody. Uh, this idea of like, you know, he wants to do like a one-man show, right? He wants to just do everything on his own. And the movie kind of tells a story about how like it's okay to like seek help from other people. We see that through the Brendan Gleeson character. Uh, he plays Knuckles, the, uh, the chef. And, you know, he, he initially is just sort of like, do things on my own. And like, uh, there, there's just this like really great way that Paddington, the character is almost like this, uh, just magical effect that wherever he goes, like through all of his accident prone wackiness, uh, he just convinces people to change for the better. And I really love that. I really love that, uh, that a movie can can tell a message like that in such a sweet way uh, without it feeling totally like emotionally manipulative, which is something that I don't yeah. say very often. But like, I think some people can overuse that. I, you know, that criticism of like, well, this manipulated my emotions. And I, I think, no, it just, it made you feel emotional. And that's all. Right. That's usually what the case is. But um, triacly, that's something that like, you know, you could say about a movie that it's just, it's just trying so hard to like, you know, tug at you and like force a reaction out of you that isn't genuine, I think is what people really mean by that. And that's not this movie. I was going to say, yeah, it, it never feels like it's pandering to the audience. It, it feels like it's very, it's very much coming from Don't a sincere place. Don't you mean pandering to the audience? No, because it's a grizzly bear, right? It's not a grizzly bear. I was actually just going to talk about that. For anyone wanting to know, Paddington is... You really want to know about this bear. Paddington like his- is based off of an Andean or spectacled bear, which is an endangered bear native to South America. There are only sixteen to 20,000 left of these bears in the world, and most of their ancestors died out millennia ago. And Paddington looks nothing like it. Hmm. Well, I hope you're not bearing false witness. No, oh my God. I knew Do I you talk were, to Michael Vaughn like about a, all this from the grave? You were like smirking at me as you were waiting for me to finish. I was like, what is I don't mean to be unbearable, Maverick. Oh, stop. <laughs> And that's even it for I'm, this week on Tim Hawks. Goodbye, everybody. Yeah. yeah. Even I wouldn't make that pun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's let's uh let's then kind of talk about uh what we think of the movie going into our final thoughts. Uh play us on. Will, I mean, how do you how do you grade a movie like Paddington? I've I've struggled with this a little bit. I mean, is this a movie that you think uh deserve I mean it's hundred percent on Rotten Tomatoes? Uh the first movie was very successful. I mean, made um, way more than it costs to make, especially it, it won two uh, BAFTAs, and mm-hmm. th- this is a this is a movie that's getting a lot of love. Do you do you agree with that? With or do you you know agree with all the hype? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it deserves all the love it's getting because all it really radiates is love. But uh, I gave it a B plus. That's what I gave it for the playlist when I reviewed it. Um, the only reason I gave it a B plus opposed to an A or an A minus just because. I do think it's a little light to a fault. Like, I don't think it really stuck with me much longer after I saw it. Like, I saw it about a week ago, and, you know, it's not one I'm going to be, like, thinking about the end of the year for my best of list or anything, but it's just so lighthearted and warm in its touch that it definitely made my heart warmer in this cold weather of ours. So I'm going to give it, yeah, a nice, firm B+. 
I'm I'm a little bit more conflicted because I hear what you're saying and you know I so I want to talk about something real quick uh that I've been really giving a lot of thought and this affects all my like reviewing because I've been well I've been genuinely thinking about like how do I how do we review movies because we brought it up on the show that like if you boil reviews down to a science it just really feels like and it, it just really doesn't feel like it, something that's really useful for people and so I've been right. trying to understand you know, a movie like Paddington, it it's a movie that does set out to do what it's set up to do, right? We've said that plenty of times. The you know, people praise movies for being like, you know, the the artists who made this, they they set out to make this kind of movie and they accomplish that. And I've been trying to be I've been wrestling with that because I'm like, is that really all that makes a movie good? And I don't think a lot of people would say that, right? And I've been like, what what else? There's gotta be more to it. Paddington is a movie that's everything that it's trying to be. It accomplishes all of its goals, all of its writing goals, it pays everything off. But how else do you judge a movie? And I think that there there's a third dimension to that, and then there's a fourth dimension to that. Um the third dimension is something that somebody actually brought up with me and um and said that, you know, it's not just about, you know, did the did the director set out to do what they wanted to do? Also, like, was it worth it? Does it matter, you know, that they did this? And that that's a bigger, like, neb- more nebulous question. And I think that's that kind of explains why somebody could watch a movie like The Last Jedi, for example, and be like, well, yeah, The Last Jedi is artistically beautiful, but I just didn't think it mattered, or I didn't think it was worth it because the way that the movie plays out, the the bigger the bigness of it just didn't register with some people like it did um, with us actually. Um, and with, so that's like the third thing. And I think that there's like a fourth thing and that's just like an X factor. I think like timing when you see, when you watch a movie and how it affects you culturally, experientially, and that, and that can be misconstrued as like, you know, uh, you only like this movie, like the post because we're, we're living in a time where the post is very culturally impactful. Right. So I'm I'm taking all this stuff into account with Paddington. I think that it does matter well, this kind of movie like Paddington existing because it does have a a genuine message that make, is about just being good to people and, and told through a kid's story. That to me is very important to teach that lesson to kids and to teach it well um, to, with a very technically accomplished script. And then moving from that, I think that. Um, the timing of this movie is good. I, I saw it in a place where I, I had a rapturous experience. So even though I was really feeling B plus on this movie because I had a couple of complaints here and there and because I was wondering, like, is it really an important movie? Uh, I give it an A minus. And uh, that that was a very long winded way for me to sort of set out what I'm going to be, how I'm going to be reviewing movies for the whole year. So apologies for the long rant. Well, I can't disagree with you. And I am leaning towards an A minus, but I got to go with a B plus. Cool. I wasn't trying to change your opinion. Well, I I totally no, I, I totally understand because I, I I totally understand your point of view on this. But let's let's face the music. Where are we at with Maverick Hines? Well, I mean, I mean, going off of what you said, right? I can I I'm at a place where I can understand that my personal opinion is not the quality of a movie. Like I I'm not you know I'm not the authority on what's good. I, I'm far from that. So I can understand that this movie was objectively entertaining for probably what most people who are going to see it. It's probably objectively really good for the exclusively for four year olds is something you said to me. Yeah, it's target audience, yeah. which is probably <laughs> around that range. <laughs> so, like, I can understand that, as you said, the movie has a place, it has a purpose, and I think it does what it's trying to do well. Just because I don't like what it was trying to do does not make it, you know, a bad movie. So for me, I think it's a B. I think for most people, it's just a solid 
B entertaining, cute movie. For me, it's like an F because I don't care about it. But <laughs> I think it's a B movie. So. B for boring. Yes. Not there. Well, Maverick, I hope you find joy and happiness in this life sometime. <laughs> I will in the next slasher film. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. Or a good time again. Something torturous and sad. That's where I thrive. <laughs> Bojack Horseman Season 5. Oh, God, yeah. Is it out yet? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> well, before we start getting into other stuff, uh, we're going to take... That'll do it for our review of Paddington 2. Uh, let us know what you think about the movie uh, anywhere where you find us. And we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, mini reviews. We're talking about the commuter, the end of the effing world. Don't go away. All right, let's get into our mini reviews for this week, starting with the other big release coming out, The Commuter, uh, starring Liam Neeson. This is a movie that uh, I didn't check out, Maverick didn't check out, but Will, you you've, you had a chance to go see this. There was another movie that came out this weekend I want to bring up real quick, Proud Mary, yeah. and I tried to go see Proud Mary, but they weren't showing anything in the Bay Area until, uh, I want to say, like last night. So I haven't right. had a chance to see it, and I've been hearing terrible things, but is it playing in Pittsburgh, Will? I think it is. I didn't trek out to see it yesterday only because the weather here was pretty bad. There was a snowstorm yesterday, and mm-hmm. I just decided to hold off until the weather was agreeable. See it because I am interested to see, even though the reviews are apparently quite dour. But yeah, it's not looking good, which is a shame because I was really looking forward to it. I think the real story here, though, in my opinion, is the fact that it was just really buried by the studio uh, for reasons that just feel very strange and uh, very unusual. Uh, because yeah. I, I've never experienced like a film that's supposed to be opening that didn't even get preview screenings. So very well, strange situation. Preview screenings aren't necessarily rare, but it's more that it's a Scream Gems movie. Yeah. Who uh, Scream Gems has made a lot of bad movies. I don't think that's taboo to say, but they usually at least push a decent size release for their movies. Mm-hmm. So the fact that this movie, even if it is bad, it's not getting a decent release is pretty troubling, but I don't know. I'll have to see the movie to really have a for- full and firm opinion on it, but until then. Agreed. But let's talk about The Commuter. Uh, Will Ashton, who is in this movie besides Liam Neeson? And uh, should we go check this one out? Uh, yeah, so this is... Uh, well, besides Liam Neeson, there's Vera Farmiga, Jonathan Banks, um, Patrick Wilson, Sam Neill, and a couple other people that I don't recognize. Oh, uh, Florence Pugh. Don't get me started. She's in the commuter. Don't get me started. She. I'm going to go see that movie tonight. I, I wanted Maverick to see it just because she was in it, because she has a look in it that I think is definitely Maverick's thing. <laughs> Will, what in the hell does that mean? <laughs> All right, we got to go watch this movie right after we record. I'm very confused. She has like kind of like a punkish like alternative look to her that I think Maverick will find very alluring. Well, I think you're assuming a lot of things about Maverick Hines. I am, so I apologize if that's the case. I don't think... Hmm. I don't think I can be a part of this podcast anymore. All right. Well, I'm sorry, Maverick. I didn't mean to put you in a bad position. No, it's okay. Uh, but anyway, um, The Commuter is the new movie from, I want to say his name is Jamey Colette Sarah. Yeah. That's probably not how yeah, you pronounce he, it, but that's yeah, a good I was effort. Say, yeah, it's, that's the guy who did a lot of Liam Neeson projects before he did. Uh, nonstop. Yeah, he did nonstop. Uh, Unknown, Run All Night, this, and I think there's one other one, but I'm blanking on what it is. It, it might have been just those four. Well, he also did, yeah. uh, he also did The Shallows. Yeah, he did The Shallows, Which Liam Neeson is not in. Uh, yeah, he's on that one. He also did Orphan, 
Mm-hmm. Oh, Which that was a, a weird hilarious one. movie. Orphan is, I think, the only movie I've seen from him. I've I've skipped. I never saw Nonstop or Run All Night. I I just never am interested in his films. Yeah, uh, Orphan either has the best or worst twists in a movie I've ever seen. I can't. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Which, um, it it's it's a very strange twist. I almost recommend the movie just for the twist. Especially if you don't know what it is. It also but. has a very laughable ending, but yeah, we can... That's what I mean. Like, the ending, it's just so absurd. I, I, we'll talk about it another time. Yeah. He also did the House of Wax remake. So his filmography is very much all over the map. Uh, and I like to think that The Commuter is kind of like the end of his weird uh, Plane, Trains, Automobiles it's end of the trilogy line. with... Uh, what's it? It's the end of the line. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's... Uh, well, Automobile was unknown... Uh, plane was nonstop, and this is the train, obviously, with the commuter. Mm-hmm. And I would say, considering his filmography is just everywhere, like it, it goes from very schlocky and silly to generally kind of entertaining and surprising. This movie is somewhere in between those two because it is trying to communicate something very serious about the fallout of the 2001 economic recession, about where people are in like the lower middle class, and like where. There's these people who are losing their jobs at like, you know, 50 or 60 who can't really stabilize their financial situations. And this whole movie gives Liam Neeson this chance to have a kind of stable life, but he has to do something that's pretty extreme and detrimental to other people. And so it has an interesting premise, but the movie seems to acknowledge that the general roundabout plot of the movie is pretty ridiculous. So they don't necessarily dwell into anything super serious about the message but i don't know it's a weird movie because i like it more in a kind of winking silly way but i can see why a lot of people are gonna think it's just an outright bad movie because it's it's very very silly it's very preposterous especially towards the end there's a train sequence that is maybe the most silly thing i've ever seen in a movie in the past like two years. And that's like the uh, same week we just watched Paddington 2, which has its own train sequence. <laughs> that is yeah, extremely absurd. More ridiculous. That, okay. Yeah, this yeah, this one, uh I, I don't want to give it away, but it's, it's amazing. Ludicrous. Um Yeah, and Liam Neeson, I think I like him more in this kind of role as opposed to like Taken Three, where he's supposed to be like two decades younger and still doing all these incredible things. Here he's a lot more weathered and conflicted, and I think that fits his 65 year old self yeah, a lot better he's but. literally a committee yeah he's he's more of an average guy caught up in something bigger that kind of role right like he can handle himself but like he he gets bruised and bloody a lot mm-hmm. like he, he gets beat up a good bit and it's not like he can really defend himself a lot which i liked um and so but he's also an ex-cop so like he has like a good understanding of who to trust and who not to trust and uh you know how to handle himself okay so it's it's an all right movie. It's it's very very silly, like I said, but I think it's a fine rental. But uh, overall, I'd give it like a generous B minus. Hmm. Well, that's it's nothing amazing, but for January, it's okay. Well, for a January action thriller, you know, with Liam Neeson, I think a B minus is uh, about as good as we can expect, right? Right. Um, yeah. Exactly. Well, that's that's the commuter. Uh, it's in theaters now, and uh, if you're into Liam Neeson movies, for sure, I think you should probably give this one a look. Uh, might be up your alley. Real quick, I wanted to say something. Um, when we're going along the thread of your commenters on your website, mm-hmm. I feel like 
I just wanted to talk and let them know that I'm still here. I didn't disappear. Uh, I'm still I'm still around for many reviews, and I will be until the end of the show. So periodically, I'm just going to make a couple noises between you guys talking, <laughs> so everyone knows that I'm still around. I just don't watch a lot of things because I'm bad at doing my job. There have been times where you have left. Oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I want to make that clear. Yeah. Like, it's not like you're here all the time. No, no. Sometimes when I, I just disappear, go to, like, I, don't, a like, state. I don't just sit back and not talk. I literally just leave. Like, right. I put down my headphones, turn off my computer. I think we've even said it on the air, too, because Will's been like, is Maverick still here? <laughs> I'm like, no, he's, uh, he's gone. I mean, I can't keep up with Will. Well, I'll just like 500 things a week, and I'm just like, I watched a movie on Thursday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so I'm well, here, listeners. Well, this next thing is something you. that you've watched, Mav, and I've seen it as well. And well, I think you, you're planning on checking it out pretty soon. The mm-hmm. end of the effing world. Uh, it's actually the full expletive there, but you know, family show. Uh, and uh, this is this is a a new show, uh, a British short form series on Netflix. And I've been waiting for a long time to t- by a week to talk to all of you about this about this show and 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 i i do want to bring up like it even though it's it's eight episodes it's they're all about 20 minutes long it's about it's actually shorter than star wars the last jedi you can watch this entire show in one sitting in fact i did and maverick you did too and uh it's a very very quick watch and part of the reason it's a quick watch is because this show is just awesome it is just I love it to peace. So here's here's what the end of the effing world is about. Um, these two young teenagers they they're outcasts in their school in, uh, in I think they're in London not London but like yeah right they're in like a like a sleepy English town sorry and uh, they they're both kind of uh, they're both kind of rebellious. The big difference is that you have this one guy played by um, I think his name is uh, the actor's name is Alex Lothar. And uh, he plays James, who's 17, and he's basically like he's like a couple of years away from being Jeffrey Dahmer. Um, he believes he's a psychopath. He kills like animals just to like make himself feel something. And he's determined to kill a human. And the person that he decides to murder is a girl named Alyssa, played by Jessica Barden. And she wants to start up a relationship with James because she just kind of wants to get away from her really just kind of, you know, emotionally abusive home life. Um, she has like a, a mom who's just very absent and a stepfather who is uh, definitely, if not just uh, emotionally abusive, but is like showing signs of like uh, sexual abuse as well. And these two characters, you know, this guy is trying to kill this girl and they basically embark on kind of a road trip. Uh, and it kind of just flows from there. Maverick, what did you think of this thing? Uh, Without so I, giving a lot of stuff away. I know. I'm going to be very careful here. I, I woke up and John was like, dude, watch this right now. Like, I think you were waiting outside my door. It was really <laughs> Like weird. dropping iPads on you. Just like- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I did. I, I watched it, and uh, I don't know if you mentioned this because I wasn't listening when you talked. Uh, but it right. was it more. It really just feels like a movie it, when you sit down and you watch. It just feels like one big movie, and it was really. I good. wish it was just a movie. I yeah. I think it would have been great. I I loved it. It was super. It was right at my alley um, as far as kind of genre and stylistic decision making. I I really enjoyed it. I don't want to give anything away, and I usually do by accident, so I'm being very careful. But I thought the characters were great. I thought the story was really cool. Um, some of the characters I really connected with, not the serial killer children. <laughs> uh, but uh, 
I don't know. It was cool. It was really sweet. It was really artistic, and I don't know. I just I liked it. I I, I don't know how else to say it. It's just it was awesome, and I really enjoyed it, and it was a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, it's hard to stop watching. Yeah, because you really just fall for all of the characters. 100%. Like there's two character. There are two characters who don't show up till the second half of the show. And I really honestly, honestly believe that they could have their own spinoff. Yeah. Um, and uh, I won't even say like who they really are because you know, even that could kind of give stuff away, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sure that you kind of just, you never know what's going to happen next. And even when you do, like even when you see something coming, the show, whatever you want to call it, uh, it just, it still takes you by surprise or like it takes you by surprise by how invested you become in certain, uh, certain things because you really, you expect like a, a show about, like I was really expecting this like serial killer love interest stuff to be extremely like messed up. And it I is. We also shouldn't say a serial killer. It's not a serial Yeah. Killer. He hasn't done. Psychopath. Psychopath. Yeah. Um, which is kind of funny because I just watched uh, seven. I just rewatched Seven Psychopaths, and uh, it's kind of an interesting companion piece to this uh, by Martin McDonough. And anyway, I honestly, all I can say is that this this show it will take you by surprise in emotional ways. If you know, even though some of the things you might see coming, and I, I'll point out. I love a show that can just shift genres on the fly. Oh yeah. Like just in the first four episodes, we get like four different types of movies and or four different types of experiences at least. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's just such a fascinating watch. We don't get good stuff like this uh, very often. And uh, it's, it's easily like starting off 2018, it, it's it's one of my favorite things already. And it's probably going to stay on my mind for a long time. Uh, The soundtrack I've been obsessed with like I have zero for days problems with this show. I mean, everything about it was really good. I, I never really loved how like at some point, I, I'm not going to give anything away. I'm just saying at some point you feel like, Oh, how do they move on from here? Like what, how can they go past? This? Yeah. Yeah. And they do it really, really well. And that was the point where I was like, okay, this is like, they've got a good group of people behind this show making it happen. And I, honestly, I'm conflicted on the idea of having a season two because I kind of just want, I just hope it, they leave it at where it's at. And I, I'm, I'm having that same feeling. Yeah. I'm with um, you. Yeah, it's like I want them to leave where it's at, but I also want a lot more. Of it. Yeah, or it's at least strange. them to make something else. <laughs> it's on Netflix. You can watch it anytime, and I just think that it's it's such an easy watch, and it's worth checking out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, like John said, it's less than the length of the Last Jedi, so you can totally sit down and just cook through this and have a really good time. I think it's better if you watch it all at once. Yeah, I can't imagine parsing it out over a few days. I think you lose some of the momentum. Maybe, yeah. There is momentum is the right word for sure. Uh, I think that it could be easy to to sort of like the wind go out of its sails and like everything's so connected. It's kind of like if you watch a movie over the course of a couple of days. And we keep saying that. I understand some people are going to be annoyed because it's like a show is a show and a movie is a movie. This show is deliberately show is ambiguous, <laughs> but like it's storytelling. You know, it's edited as a movie. It is on a platform. Where like you like the title like this in between stuff between episodes isn't you, it just skips past that stuff anyway so like I think it's pretty fair to look at something like this and say you know once you watch it you'll kind of understand yeah I'm to curious understand. to get uh, Will's take on that but uh, hopefully Will if you ch- if you can check this out uh, hopefully uh, we can talk about it I'm definitely planning on it and especially if it's shorter than the Last Jedi I can probably squeeze that in pretty soon also randomly, right after Stranger Things too. I also want to stress that Twin Peaks is also a TV show, and anyone that says otherwise is wrong. I, I so. yeah, I think I think that's a different, a totally different case. And I, I no, get that's just uh, because you keep talking about like the difference between t- movies and TV shows, and people nowadays just want to qualify a lot of TV shows as movies, which I think is a ridiculous thing to do. Yeah. So I just want to say 
Stop with the Twin Peaks is a movie thing. It's a TV show. I get what you're saying. I think that TV is changing. And sure, yeah. I, I, if, you, if you take a look at shows like Twin Peaks and this one, what we're doing is we're trying to like fit those properties into traditional storytelling. Right. You know, things that we recognize. And I don't think there's a problem with that. And I understand why people get frustrated when we try to like take things out of their prescribed box. But, you know, we have to, eventually we're going to see a television landscape that's very different. Um, you know, I was thinking about this earlier today about how, you know, the Game of Thrones, Game of Th- the last season of Game of Thrones is going to be what, six episodes. And it's not going to come out for like another year. So like we're seeing more of like shows are coming out staggered like movies, right? They're coming out years later. Rick and Morty, this, the next season is not going to be for a couple of years. Um, Fargo, Fargo is not going to get another season until 2019. And so I think there's something to be said about how as TV is becoming more cinematic, because that's just where a lot of talent is going. I think we can expect to see more of this trend of standalone shows, maybe like the end of the effing world, depending on how that goes. It's based on, we didn't mention a graphic novel, um, which I haven't checked out. So I don't really know how the story really ends there. And uh, it, you know, I I think that as TV becomes more cinematic, we're going to see more trends of like years between shows. It happened. It's been happening on AMC a little bit, right? With Breaking Bad, with Mad Men, they, they found different ways of like releasing episodes and it felt more like they were waiting at, you know, there was more of a, a, a gap and it's feeling less like shows are being made for cable and they're being made for streaming and watching all at once. And as that continues to happen and more directors and more writers who usually do movies and how some of the best of these people, as they go to TV, I think we're going to see even more blurring of the line. So that's my take and uh, that's what I'm sticking with. All right. How many rants am I going to get in today? I was going to say, we're going to do another one before the end of the <laughs> Well, I'm going to shut up and uh, hit it over to Will to talk about something called Blame. Okay. Sure. Uh, Blame is the directorial debut of Quinn Shepard, who uh, some people might know. She was a child actress for a little bit. I think she was in Unaccompanied Minors, if anyone besides me remembers that movie. Uh, that was Paul Feig's like, first movie. Before, well, not his first movie, but he made that movie, and then ten years later, he made uh, *Bridesmaids*. So, the only kid movie I think that he ever ever made. But anyway, uh, *Blame* is very interesting to me because it's a movie written, directed, starring, produced, and edited by Quinn Shepard. But she was twenty years old when she made the movie, and I don't know about you, but I got my driver's license when I was twenty, so she's way ahead. <laughs> well, of the game. yeah, I, I, it's we got a regular Orson Welles over here. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, Orson Welles was twenty five when he made Citizen Kane. I think he was twenty one uh, when he made when he directed his first film, right? No, he's twenty five when he directed Citizen Kane. Okay, I'm thinking of something that some director did at twenty one. But go ahead. Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, but there is, I mean, yeah. So the, the movie itself, I mean, just. Like, really get into a brief discussion what it is. It's basically a somewhat modernized take on The Crucible, Arthur Miller's The Crucible. Uh, there's this girl who uh, doesn't really fit in, and she had this mental breakdown about a year or so ago in school, and so people adopt this name called Sybil with her, and she uh, adopts her personality from The Glass Margin, which was the uh, book they read for the summer. But this new English substitute teacher comes in, and he starts teaching on the crucible and they do a play of that. And as that goes on, she adopts the personality of the main uh, character in that, which I do not know off the top of my head, 
but uh oh it's um abigail uh because uh that's also the name of the character and so there's this other girl that's kind of a bully but she's not really the popular mean girl like it's not that she fits in that category she's just kind of a uh self-important girl who doesn't really accept anyone other than herself and she has this kind of need to feel vindicated a lot and she spars with abigail because she starts to have romantic feelings towards the english substitute teacher and subsequently substitute substitute teacher also has feelings towards her so the movie kind of touches some controversial topics as you can imagine but the movie itself is very sensitive and sweet it actually reminded me a lot of the virgin suicides which is another directorial debut from sofia coppola and uh i i really just want to celebrate this movie because even though she was 20 i guess she's now 22 mm-hmm. when she made this movie it really feels accomplished in so many ways that most directors who have many films in their filmography do not have but at the same time she understands high school culture in a way that doesn't really feel like she's talking down to it. She understands it on a very modern, relatable level. And so it's this nice balance of youth and accomplishment that is really stunning. And I think it's really going to be a telling sign of what I think is going to be a really great filmmaker on the rise. So I'm going to give it a B plus. I think if you can find it, it's on VOD right now. It's well worth watching and check it out. I'm going to be checking out Blame this week uh, as part of the 52 films by women. Uh, because so, cause my last one was the, I rewatched The Kids Are All Right. And for this next, that was Lisa Chilodenko. And for this next one, I, I, I definitely want to see a film, like a, a high school film directed by somebody who definitely is close to that age. I know, I know Quinn Shepard a little bit better from TV, to be totally honest. I don't think I've seen any of her movies, but. Um, what did you do on TV? Purse of Interest. She was, okay. and I think she was on Law and Order too, and uh, I, I definitely want to see a movie with that kind of perspective because that's just it, it's it is fascinating to me for sure that like this person, this girl who is uh, this woman who is in her early twenties is like coming out with stuff that just is resonating with people of all ages, not all ages, all ages, but you you know what I mean? Like she's able yeah. to like to do something like draw parallels to the Crucible, and from what I'm hearing, it's uh, she she obviously does a really good job with it, so. I'm going to check it out, too. Yeah. I was going to say, also, um, she started writing the script when she was in high school. So I think that also lends mm-hmm. a big factor into making the dialogue and making the interactions feel a lot more realistic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I also wanted to ask, are the kids still all right? <laughs> they are. That movie holds up. Um, I, it, I, I've I always, seen it since. I really like that film. Did you like it when you saw it? Yeah, I really liked it. I saw it. Uh, I think I was like seventeen or something in high school when I saw it. So I've been meaning to see it again. So I'm glad it holds up. Yeah, I was I was in college, so it was definitely uh, a, a good movie for me to see because uh, it was Josh Hutcherson. I think we're about the same age, actually. So uh, I, I, it was very telling because I had never been to the West Coast before. And uh, what, one thing that, that movie does really well is that it really like captures life in in California in a way that I think that movies don't usually. Uh, show and uh yeah so at rewatching it now after living in california for for years uh i got a kick out of it and uh it's obviously a well-directed movie but okay let's get back into our mini reviews uh let's talk about a movie here. that uh <laughs> hey maverick how you doing <laughs> hey maverick hey guys man the bl- blame right yeah can you believe it I, I, yeah i'm with you are you gonna check out Blame Maverick? Probably not, but I mean, I'm gonna okay. be I'm gonna be playing it, and you'll be in the vicinity, so maybe you can catch. Yeah, I'll a hear it probably because John yeah. listens to things on full volume all the time. So <laughs> yeah, 
being being deaf sure is inconvenient for Maverick. Yeah, it's really really troublesome for me. Well, let's talk about the post. Uh, we've brought it up on the show before, and uh, we've we've actually I think we got a request to bring up the movie by a listener. So uh, uh, whoever whoever made that comment, uh, I'm spacing on who it was. Uh, let's talk about the post. Finally, this movie came out weeks ago, but. Only recently have uh, I seen it, and Will, you saw it a while back, and you kind of you waited yeah. so that more people could check it out first. But uh, t- tell us what you say. thought of the post. Yeah, I was trying to remember when I saw. It. I think I saw it at the end of November, so it has been a little while. Either that, it was like I think you saw it in time for our winter movie preview, which was like the first week of December, right? Right. So like you had seen you had seen it for a lo- a few days by then, at least I think. Yeah, about a week I think after that or before that. But of course, this um, is this is Steven Spielberg. You know, it's starring Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep. It's didn't get a lot of awards attention so far, but it's still a front runner for the Oscars at the moment. Yeah, for best it picture, definitely feels like a movie made for the Oscars mm-hmm. in some ways, but uh, not completely. Not to dismiss it altogether. Yeah. But. What did, What did you think of the prequel to All the President's Men? Uh, overall, I did like the movie. I think I said that before. It's a good movie. I mean, everything about it is super well made. It's well acted, well lit, well shot. Obviously, um, the acting is all around pretty good. I did have some issues with the fact that the movie is trying to go for a very, you know, stick to truth. The integrity is what matters. You know, we got to honor the facts message. Yeah, I hate that. Facts are the worst. Right, Will? But no, 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 no. Hang on. Let me finish. Uh, <laughs> I don't mind that. I think that's very good. I think it's an important message in our, you know, uh, fake news culture, whatever. Mm. But I think Steven Spielberg's very romantic, uh, very, you know, he takes liberties with what's actually happening and trying to dramatize it a lot. That kind of contradicts with what he's going for in some ways. And so it's kind of a weird blend of sensibilities. But I think it's a good movie. It's just one that didn't really stick with me as much as it did for some other people. Yeah, I I wrote my review of the post on Relevant Magazine. It just came out. And I know you read it, Will, and I think we're really close to the same page because I also think it's a good movie. It's actually on my honorable mentions list. And uh, part of the reason is because I'm a sucker for movies about journalism. I I love the profession. Uh, It's something that I I heavily consider doing in school. It's something that I've done uh, as a hobby for a film. And I I just, I love, uh, I I just love the way that directors bring that job to life in a lot of movies. All the President's Men is one of my favorite films. Uh, I really loved Spotlight. I was so happy to see it win Best Picture a few years ago. Uh, Mm -hmm. I just love I love how there's this pairing between the tedious, cold, mechanical job of fact-finding, and it's paired with this really emotional purpose and mission behind it. Like, you have these very passionate people forcing themselves to be very even-handed and very, like, flat because it's their job, and I really love watching that brought to life by really talented filmmakers. And I think the post by no stretch of the imagination does that in droves. The best parts of the movie are when we see uh, some of these characters, uh, Ben Bradley, who's played by Tom Hanks, uh, who does it very well for, you know, compared to Jason Robarts, who really iconicized that performance and uh, even won an Oscar for it. He, He brings a lot of the emotional purpose to life. But not enough of the movie, I think, brings some more of the uh, some more of the mechanical stuff to life. I think, and I think it almost feels like an incomplete film, and it's a film with a lot of setting up. To be totally fair, and I, I, I'm very conflicted on certain aspects of it. I think that uh, the story of Kay Graham. I mean, we, go ahead, Will, and I'll get into that. I was gonna say, I don't know if I'd necessarily call it incomplete, but it does feel kind of rushed because the movie. I think it's kind of what I'm from getting at. Pre-production to finished film it was about i think nine months nine months yeah the, the screenplay yeah, was only stopped. written a year ago 
Right. And uh, I think I would agree that the movie does doesn't really feel settled. Like, I think the movie just kind of skirting its way into theater. Well, it has like a, can, it has what amounts to a post credits teaser, right? For right. all the president's men. But normally that would bother me, but I think that actually kind of fits for what they're going for here. The fact that, you know, they're rushing to get this film made and stuff like that fits like the characters just trying in vain, just, or not in vain to get the news out there as fast as possible. So I didn't really mind the rush feel of it as much okay. as I normally would. So I would agree with you there. It, yeah. We should, and I should preface like, Part of the reason I'm kind of coming down pretty hard on it is because it's a movie with one of the best directors of all time, one of the two two of the best actors of all time, and Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. So I, you know, I just think it's a movie with a lot of with potential, and it should have been the makings of a classic, honestly. And it kind of isn't. It's it's the kind of movie that I think I expected Spotlight to be actually, and sure. Spotlight actually transcended its own genre a bit. And um, I know some people don't love that movie quite as much as I do, but uh, as somebody who who is a sucker for these kinds of films, who is very easily entertained, and you know, it's like the anti Maverick watching Paddington. I went in there ready to just really get into get into this movie, and I did, and I did, and I recommend it to anybody who's of similar fashion as me. But uh, yeah, overall, I, I think that it, it's it's a movie that doesn't quite go all that far. Yeah, I mean, it's a predictable success. Like it's yeah. exactly what you expect, but like you said, it doesn't really transcend it. As much as Spotlight, like you're saying, which is a movie I really love. I also um, have a high appreciation for journalism. I actually studied journalism in school. So I tend to be a little more critical of journalism movies, I think, because I'm just so used to being in newsrooms and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's perfectly fine. It's a, like you said, it's a good film. I just don't think it really warrants like best of the year discussion just because it does what it sets out to do, but doesn't, like you said, transcend it. Right. I definitely agree. Uh, in my power rankings, it, it does. It just barely doesn't crack my top thirty. Um, but it's still a B plus for me. What about you, Will? I was between a B and a B plus. I think I'm gonna settle with a B. Okay. Um, so that's the post. It's in theaters now, and uh, I think we've said all we need to say. Is this a movie that? Oh, you. Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say. Uh, I also really like Bob Odenkirk's performance. That's actually oh, one yeah. thing that really surprised me. He. Uh, He's really becoming a great actor. He's coming into his own for sure. I, I don't know how I feel about him getting into that action role he's supposed to be doing. Oh, the John Wick thing. Yeah. I, mm, yeah. I'm excited. I don't know about all that. but I'm very curious. Mm, yeah. Uh, could be like another Liam Neeson situation. I don't know. Sure. If there was going to be anybody who was going to continue The Office, which apparently is coming back, uh, I thought what he did like riffing off the Michael Scott thing in the in the final season, I thought was kind of inter- kind of an interesting kind of shows you that this guy is capable of a lot. He has a lot of talent, and I want well, to yeah, Mr. Show, obviously. I mean, and Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. He's a tremendously versatile actor, and he's but. just now starting to get the recognition he deserves. I think, but sure, yeah, Maverick Hines, we the post. Do you have any interest whatsoever in this movie? Actually, yeah, <clears throat> you uh, you seemed pretty excited about it when you came home, and I was already interested by the trailer. It seemed like a cool story. I think it just for me, what's attractive about it is just the like the world we live in today. <laughs> I think it's pretty relevant, and it seems like something that would give good insight and be interesting. I'm probably gonna buy it, so uh, you know, hopefully, we can do a, uh, a rewatch one of these days, but. Moving on, uh, there is one. I think we have time for one or two more mini reviews before we have to call it. I, I only briefly want to talk about Molly's game. Okay. Um, that's something that I've seen and Will has seen. Yeah. Will, you, sell me on Molly's game because this is this is Aaron Sorkin's directorial debut. Uh, I, I have mad respect for Aaron Sorkin. He's a he writes screenplays like some of us eat breakfast, just like 
he's not even trying. And Molly's Game is a movie that I, I got to say, by the end of it, I was exhausted. Set us up. Okay, so Molly's Game is the story of uh, Molly Bloom, who is real person. This, uh, what's that? Real person. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know that another, going in. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah, it's another real life uh, person that. Aaron Sorkin is taking a somewhat fictional look at because similar to the social network and Steve Jobs, he takes his very idiosyncratic style and turns into something that's obviously true to real life, but also pretty personal and trying to explore something with his fractured relationship with other people. Uh, yeah, I guess that's just something he has to work out. But um, yeah, I mean, this is a movie about a woman who kind of goes from uh, just a competitive Olympian skier to running one of the most exclusive poker rings in the world. The title of her memoir and, actually is Molly's Game from Hollywood's yeah. Elite to Wall Street's Billionaire Boys Club, My High Stakes Adventure in the World of Underground Poker, in case you were and, wondering uh, <laughs> what, the yeah. movie, what the book is about. But um, yeah, I mean, it calls itself an adaptation of the book, but it's actually only about, I think, half the book. Because the book, I think it's like I didn't read the book, but I'm guessing it's like a, like just just about the first half of the film or the first half of her story where she gets, uh, from Olympian skier to poker ring to kind of losing it all. And yeah, so the movie yeah. actually focuses a lot on uh, an ensuing court battle that happens where she meets with uh, Idris Elba and they kind of spar wits throughout. And uh, I can see though why you were exhausted by it, just because because it's Aaron Sorkin directing it's probably the most aaron sorkin movie ever made <laughs> like the beginning of the movie is like maybe the most aaron sorkin thing ever it's like a montage explaining everything you need to know about molly bloom and it's fast edits and people talking really fast and talking about something that seems very basic but you actually don't know that so-and-so is ranked or whatever and it's like yeah this is definitely aaron sorkin at the helm right which isn't a bad thing uh, but he does yeah. that a lot throughout the movie and it, it genuinely is exhausting but I feel like my thing with Aaron Sorkin now is that obviously he's a tremendously gifted writer, mm-hmm. but he's kind of getting to a point where he's almost self-parodying himself. <laughs> and I felt that a lot throughout this movie. He might as well, because everybody else is, you know? That's what I mean. But like, I, I feel like there's an established style to Aaron Sorkin, and he doesn't really go out of it in this. The only difference is that he's actually focusing on a female protagonist, and that's something that he's not really that adept at usually, is he's very male centric and this is actually a female at the forefront and i'll say he's that, almost he almost is really successful with it but he kind of undermines the entire thing with one scene and it's kind of amazing to watch i can't say we don't want to give anything without giving anything away something happens toward the end that just completely uh, it, it's it's sad are you talking about the daddy's issues thing yeah yeah you know what i'm talking about I guess so. I don't know. I, I, I don't think I mind that scene as much just because... I'd bother I, me to no end. I can see why, but my only reason... The only reason it didn't really bother me is because I actually think Kevin Costner gives a really human great sure. performance. Sure. Yeah, 100%. There's nothing wrong... There's not even anything wrong with the writing or how it's directed or the performance. It is just the very idea of what it does is it just... I think it takes a character... And boils her down to th- like three minutes, and Literally, I just yeah. think it betrays <laughs> like its own internal logic, and, and it's stupid. Sure. It, it just it. Ugh, sorry, it's trying too hard to give a simple explanation for this person. Exactly, this and it, she's not a simple person. That's the point of the anyway. Right. No, I agree with you. I I 
I think fundamentally that scene is flawed and problematic. I just didn't really mind watching it because I thought it was very well acted and pretty well directed. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the movie itself is pretty flawed and it's not by any means perfect. I mean, we were talking last week about how good of a year it was for directorial debuts. I think this is like pretty, not middle of the road one, but like a good, not great one. Like it's well made. I think he has a future if he wants to continue directing. But it sounds like a threat. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, like, I would rather he stick to writing because I think that's where he really excels. I don't think the direction of this movie is like amazing. I think it's just there to service the script. If that makes sense. Like, sure, he has a couple flaw or a couple stylistic tendencies, but they're very much. He was watching David Fincher and David Bo- or Danny Boyle take his scripts, and he just I think took a couple notes and just tried to incorporate their style into his own, and it just feels like a little bit of a pache at times. So, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a good film. Like I said, I think Jessica Chastain is great. I think uh, Idris Elba and um, Kevin Costner are very good as well. I just don't think this is going to be one that sticks with me, especially compared to some of Aaron Sorkin's other movies. Yeah. And and I'll say, even though I really dislike that scene, it doesn't ruin the entire movie for me. I think that, like you said, a lot of the movie's really good. Uh, A lot of it's good. And my biggest thing, honestly, is just the fact that it's just too long. Uh, that's really what it comes down to for me. Yeah, and the uh, pacing in the second half is really all over the place. Yeah, it's a movie that it really, it, it just really is all over the place in general, uh, where it's it's trying to say so many different things. And I think that there's a central uh, dynamic between Molly and uh, this character named Agent X, played by Michael Cera, that I wish, oh, yeah. I wish the movie had been bold enough to really get into who that person really is. <clears throat> I think, I think they admitted who it is. Yeah, Tobey Maguire. Yeah. Yeah, Tobey Maguire. Yeah. And I just think that uh, I don't know. There, there's more interesting. There's a more interesting movie in here, probably. But you kind of would have had to chip away at it to reveal what that is. And I just don't think the movie is it. It's it's almost like you made the the whole thing, and then like I don't know. I feel like Aaron Sorkin didn't show a lot of restraint here. I just think it's more of an exercise in directing for him. He was like, "Well, I've been sure. doing this for like 20, 30 years. I should direct a movie by now." But I don't think he really had that much to say in this movie that he hasn't said in other films especially compared to Steve Jobs and the social network. It just kind of felt like you're it, it, like I said, it, it almost at times just feels like a self parody of Aaron Sorkin. To me that kind of, it, it, it just didn't make it as much of an experience as I got from his other better scripts. Well, I gave, so. I gave Molly's game a, uh, a B minus. Um, it, it, for me, it was a B up until I just think that went too long. And I think one scene really drags it, but uh, it's still not a bad movie. Uh, what about you? I I was a little more favorable. I gave it a B for Bloom. B for Bloom. But, uh, yeah, it's not like a firm B. It's more just like yeah, it's that's a B effort. All right, not bad. Let's. I can't wait. I want to see more from Aaron Sorkin. I'll, you know, if this is his first shot, uh, maybe the next one's gonna be uh, something really special. Who knows? I just I just want to see him do something different. Yeah. At this point, I mean, like I think this is kind of different. He said outright. What's this was kind of different, you know, and a little and bit. Yeah, but I want him to like really go out of his comfort zone, like make something that's like maybe not even dialogue people centric, maybe some people running and talking. Sure. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, like, I think he's said outright that he doesn't really want to do TV. I think he wants to focus on making films right now, which I mean, I guess like, that means he wants to explore different narratives and not just do the same thing over and over again. But to me, Molly's game kind of felt like he is progressing, but at the same time, he has some things that are just standard and getting kind of tiresome so i don't know all right well we we have one last mini review for you guys uh david letterman has a new show on netflix and uh, this will be pretty quick that the first episode is out 
And uh, I know, Will, you specifically really wanted to talk about this one. And uh, for those yeah. of you who are wondering, by the way, when we're going to talk about Phantom Thread, that's going to be next week. Um, I'm not seeing Phantom Thread until today, actually. So uh, we'll have a discussion about it later. But for now, David Letterman. And uh, what's, the, what's the subtitle for this movie again? Or this show on Netflix? I think it's called uh, My Next Guest Needs No Introduction. That's right. Yeah. With David Letterman. But his first guest, uh, well, needs no introduction. We'll say it anyway. Barack Obama. And, uh, you know, I, I even... Um, I would, I was talking to some people on Twitter about this, this episode just this morning about, uh, you know, one of the quotes that he made is definitely striking a chord with people, uh, that happened. But, uh, I'll explain a little bit of it here. Basically, David Letterman, famous late night host, uh, he, you know, it's been a while since he's had a show again, but it's, it's different. They pointed out in the first episode. Yeah. Uh, he, there's no band. Uh, it's a definitely more relaxed environment and it's him and just one person in a live audience. And it's way less comedic than I expected. Uh, you know, David Ledman grew out his whole beard. It's a little more serious. And it, it starts with like the playful banter you'd expect from like a typical late night kind of thing. But, uh, he sits, he sits with Barack Obama and they talk about a lot of stuff and, you know, they, they talk about everything from, uh, Barack Obama's, like, his past, uh, his future now that he's not president anymore, and uh, a lot of personal stuff, uh, talking a lot about his, his mother, his, his wife, his kids, uh, very revealing conversation. Even if you're someone who is not exactly, uh, politically motivated, or if you're politically against, uh, people like Barack Obama, it is a very fascinating deep dive into the former president. And, uh, I, I got a real kick out of this. Well, hey, I was watching it and I kept thinking that I was going to take a break, you know, and that I was because I don't usually watch these things in one sitting, but I couldn't stop watching. And I think I was just very fascinated by the conversation style. I think that we are talking about two people who are very good at conversation and I'm um, looking forward to seeing the next episode. Yeah. I mean, I should stress that the main reason I wanted to talk about this show is because in many ways, I think Dave Letterman was essentially my Johnny Carson. I didn't really grow up when Johnny Carson was on TV, I think he might have even been on his last legs by the time I was even close to watching late night TV. But uh, yeah, so David Letterman was like the type of guy, the type of guy I would watch when I was going to bed. So there's something kind of comforting I find with David Letterman. And that's why I wanted to check out his new show because like, it's just something kind of wash over me when I see him talking again. It's just like, Oh yeah. Like this is what's like before the world was not in flames. <laughs> uh, but the show, I don't know. I mean, I I have a little more mixed feelings on it than I think you do because um, Noel Murphy or No Murray, I think uh, is the same. He tweeted out something yesterday that I think kind of sums up my feelings on the show, which is uh, he he wrote exclusive outtake from Letterman's new Netflix show, and uh, it's a black and white photo of Krusty the Clown from The Simpsons in a suit, like with his hands pressed together, and he's like, "Let me be blunt." Is there a labor crisis in America today? And it just, it's like a weird thing where it's like this guy who's very comedic and very uh, known for being kind of wily and silly sitting down and trying to have a very serious discussion. It's not necessarily that it's bad. It's just kind of jarring to me to see David Letterman have this kind of very sit- serious sit down interview with David Letterman or uh, sorry, with the uh, Barack Obama. But at the same time, I think that helps Barack Obama kind of let his guard down a bit and just have a regular kind of yeah. human conversation with uh, David Letterman, especially I like the second half of the interview more than the first half, just because to me, just him talking about moving his daughters into college and just like how he's adjusting to life post presidency and just how he makes amends with his legacy and just what's coming up next. I think that's more interesting than just like 
talking about Marquez is now and just like what we can do to fix it. I mean, not to say that stuff is important, but I feel like talking in just a very direct one-on-one way, like you said, without the band, there's no Paul Schaefer. There's no big comedic beats. It's really just a very professional sit down interview. And it's, it's interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing more episodes just to see what he's going to do as far as the style of the show goes. And I'm a little disappointed that the next one is going to be George Clooney, just because like, whatever like i mean what's what are they going to talk about yeah here are all the movies that weren't all that you know successful even though you were the main actor let's let's talk about suburbicon yeah i i i actually you know i think that's why i like the show so much is because it has such a great second half and that you know i i think that they don't spend a lot of time talking about America as is and like all that typical stuff you would expect to hear. I think we did get a lot of that human conversation and a lot of that does have to do with the nature of the guests. And I know I I just love hearing former politicians, especially, but politicians in general, when they just talk like human beings, is always like a, just a nice reminder that they are human beings. And it's always fascinating to see what they're like, um, all of them, you know, and when they don't have, you know, elections coming up. Right. And that's, that's why I really dug this one. And I, I think that, if you look at the conversation as a whole, I mean, you can go in there and maybe like be like, "Oh, he's too silly" or whatever. Um, I'm not. I was. I'm not somebody who grew up on David Letterman. To be totally honest, I wasn't really in a late night at all. Um, late night is only something that I've recently sort of gotten into a bit with uh, Seth Meyers and uh, Trevor Noah, and I didn't even watch a lot of like uh, John Stewart or anything like that. It just never was on my radar. So as somebody who's a little bit more fresh on late night, I guess it just, it doesn't really like strike me as maybe uh forgettable or something that I've seen a million times. Cause that's just not my situation. So, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I think it's more just me adjusting to this new David Letterman style. And I do like that. Uh, ultimately David Letterman did not overshadow the show. Yeah. He ultimately let, I mean, there are even times where Barack Obama tries to ask David Letterman questions. <laughs> He's like, this is not about me. This yeah, is yeah. trying to ask you the questions. Which I appreciate. It, it was never like he was trying to let his ego get in the way. He's really just trying to have right. a one-on-one conversation with this guy. And ultimately, yeah, like I said, it's a good show. It's a uh, it's a good conversation. And I think uh, it might be if I mean if you are like not a fan of Barack Obama, you probably won't get a lot out of this just because it's very flattering of him and stuff. But I mean, I'd say if, if you're you at just, least neutral on him, that's what I mean. If you're neutral or at least want that kind of nostalgia of like, oh, like a former president talking like a president and just having a very civil, thoughtful conversation with somebody, not having insults thrown at people and stuff like that, just having a very human reaction to what's going on, then yeah, it's hundred percent worth it. So yeah, I don't know. I I won't give it a letter grade or anything, but yeah, yeah, same, same. It's because I don't know how you can really letter grade a talk show, but um yeah, it's worth watching, especially because it's only on Netflix. Um, I'm guessing it's taking over for Chelsea Handler's show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's about right. Yeah, I never really watched her Netflix show, but I heard it wasn't that great. So, um, yeah. Well, that's uh, David Letterman. My next guest needs no introduction. And with that, that'll do it for this week's episode of Cinemaholics, where we only took two detours into TV stuff, but... Uh, that said, they're both Netflix shows, so <laughs> I don't think we, we went too crazy. Um, I do want to say, I do want to talk about Black Lightning at some point when that comes out. Um, it'll be out by the time we do our next episode. And uh, next week, we are going to be talking about uh, Oscar nominations. We're going to make 
a couple, we'll talk about it a little bit. It's not going to be the focus of the show by any means because the nominations aren't going to be announced until a few days after uh, our next episode comes out. But we will talk a little bit about things we think are going to be you know, out. But we are still going to be reviewing movies. A few are coming out, 12 strong. Uh, that's the new movie with Chris Hemsworth, Michael Pena, Michael Shannon, that uh, it is about uh, one of the first American conflicts uh, during the War on Terror. And uh, the subtitle, it's something about like the horse soldiers or something like that. Uh, yeah, it's it's our January war movie. The horse soldiers. The horse soldiers. We, well, every January since like American Sniper, really, we've been getting these kind of, uh, you know, like really, really pro-patriotism war films. I I, there was 13 Hours and then uh, what was last year? I... I don't know. I, I'm just imagining the horse, the horse soldier, soldiers, or whatever you just said. Oh, Zero Dark uh, Thirty was probably the other one. Yeah, I, I'm just imagining the centaur soldiers. Oh my gosh, just running into battle. Hogwarts, kind of like that Black cop Hogwarts. in Bright. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like that centaur cop in Bright. Yeah, like break up a fight. Oh jeez, let's not talk about Bright. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's also Den of Thieves coming out. Uh, yeah. Gerard Butler and uh, Fifty Cent. Um. I don't know if that's on my radar, but I know it's on Maverick. Nope, he's shaking no, his head. Not even a little <laughs> bit. Also, I'm here. Maverick. Oh, Maverick, are you here? I'm here. Hey, everybody. Uh, there's also Forever My Girl, uh, that the country music movie where like the guy is basically Luke Bryan and he goes back to his hometown. The only reason I'm sort of interested in the movie is because Jessica Roth is in it from yeah, Happy Death say. Day. My new crush, You're, Jessica Roth. Yeah, she. Uh, I want to see her in really good movies. I don't know if Forever My Girl is going to be that. Pretty doubtful. Um, well, one movie that I, I do hope that I get to see soon that uh, I missed my screening for it, but Mary and the Witch's Flower is going to be um, opening in limited theaters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that I saw a trailer for that during Faces Places. Oh, great, great. Um, this is, this is uh, the new Japanese anime from Studio Pinocchio. And uh, it's it's been out since like July in Japan, so uh, the the reviews are amazing, and I think that uh, it's it's got a lot of animators from Studio Ghibli, so it's like absolutely stunning and beautiful, and hopefully we'll be able to check this one out pretty soon. But uh, we'll let you guys know for sure what we're going to be talking about next week. I still have no idea, to be totally honest. But uh, until then, thank you as always for listening to Cinemaholics. Uh, If you like our show, don't forget to leave us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts uh, to help us uh, show up uh, in more ears. Don't forget to uh, like the Facebook page. And uh, we're always on the Facebook page hanging out with you guys. Uh, That's where you get the latest episode updates. Uh, We also have a Twitter. You just find a Cinemaholics podcast on Facebook and Twitter. And email us your feedback whenever you have them. And you want to, uh, if you have any specific complaints about Maverick, that's cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com. And uh, don't forget to check out, of course, Find Your Voice on, um, Finding Her Voice, sorry, on The Young Folks. Uh, that's their new podcast. We highly recommend that as well. But with that, it's time to say goodbye to all you great listeners. From the internet, California, I am John Agroni. From the internet, Pennsylvania, I am Will Ashton. And from the broadband basement, I'm Everett Hines. And falling asleep. We'll see you next time. You're still here, though. I'm here.